Uh, poor old Peter, said Jen while she was chatting with me and standing in the kitchen wrapping presents for Clancy's birthday the next day. Poor old Peter. I had no idea what she was talking about. Started to think about all the different Peters that we've We've known over the years. I should have known what she was talking about uh, because just, you know, not long before that, we'd read about Peter from Mark's gospel with our kids uh, around the table. Peter who wrote this letter, one Peter, Peter the apostle, uh, Peter who had said to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Uh, The Peter who then went on to disown Jesus as Jesus had said that he would. There was that girl who said to Peter, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. The girl uh, to the others, she said, this fellow is one of them, one of them. Again, he denied it. And those standing nearby, they said, surely... You are one of them, for you're a Galilean. Your accent gives you away, mates. But Peter began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Three times Peter denied his Lord, and shortly after he broke down in tears. Poor old Peter. I don't know if you're familiar with that feeling in some way or another. I gather if you are someone who follows Jesus that you are. That feeling that there is nothing you can do to fix it. When your sin just sits so heavy, the shame, your rejection of the Lordship of Christ in some way or another. It's all over, Peter must have thought. That that resolve, wonderful resolve, I'll die with you, Jesus. But I will not deny you. And then the failure. And it's why Jesus came, isn't it? Because we've all rejected the authority of the loving God who made us in some way or another. And we need his perfect life and his sacrificial death that we might be forgiven and adopted and restored. And that wasn't the end of Peter's story, of course. You recall the story, Jesus came to him after having risen from the dead and we read it in John chapter 21, he forgave Peter, their friendship was restored and Jesus gave Peter the role of feeding his sheep. It's a beautiful restoration, three times he denies his Lord and three times his Lord says, do you love me Peter? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And Peter spent the rest of his life spreading the news of the kingdom. This was the bloke that Jesus said of in Matthew chapter 16, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter means rocky, little play on words. Didn't get off to the most solid start though, did he? Anyway, we have Peter, the great pastor, as we open up one Peter. With all of that history, a failure given a privileged role, and he's writing to God's scattered people in the first century, a people under pressure as they seek to live for Jesus in the face of a world that opposes the lordship 
of Jesus. Now, I reckon it's really interesting uh, that mostly in this letter, Peter just tells his reader who they are and so how they're to live. Who you are shapes what you do. Now, the the Bible has all kinds of ways of describing the church, uh, doesn't it? God's flock, uh, Christ's, uh, the the branches of the true vine. I am the vine, you are the branches, says, says Jesus. His bride, his body, you know, one body, many parts. And the Greek word for church, ecclesia, it means gathering or, or assembly. And so we picture that wonderful gathering of God's people to worship him. The Israelites of old, the local church today. But that, that picture in Revelation 21, that day, that final day when people from all tribes and, and nations will gather to worship the Lord. What about the church? Well, we'll just narrow in on this passage from 1 Peter this afternoon. And you see verses 4 to 6, if your Bible's there. Uh, this, is our, this talk's going to have two points, I reckon. And the first point, the church is a building. Uh, look with me, 4 to 6. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In ancient times, the cornerstone was the most important part of, uh, of the building, the foundation stone, the, the starting point, the, the point from which all of the plumb lines of the rest of the building would be set. Uh, if it was wrong, the whole building was wrong, crooked. Peter says that Jesus is the promised cornerstone. The building itself, it's a spiritual house made up of believers, the church. So as people come to Jesus, the the living stone, they, we, like living stones, are built upon him, the great foundation. It's interesting, isn't it, that Peter, rocky, Peter means rock, he doesn't make a special place for himself in this grand building project, In this imagery, on this rock, I'll build my church, said Jesus in Matthew 16. But Peter points away from himself to Jesus. It's by the authority of the apostles' teaching that Jesus builds his church, those eyewitnesses from old, Peter and the others. But their teaching points to him and not themselves. The language Peter uses would have reminded his readers of the Old Testament. As you come to him, in verse 4, it looks back to a description of of the priests coming near to worship God. In verse 5, the the, the priesthood theme, it continues, and Christians, God's people, the church, were described as being built into a spiritual house. But why? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. 
The Old Testament, this privilege of drawing near to God, it was reserved to a few, reserved to the priests. Here Peter applies this, this most wonderful, this most wonderful privilege, drawing near to God as you come to him, to all believers. Together they are, we are, being built into a spiritual house. A temple which is no longer a a physical building, but the people of God themselves. God's people, the church, is a building. And notice verse 5, God is doing the building. Not you or me, but this is God's work. That's why there there is such confidence. You see the confidence in verse 6. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For those whose lives are built on the sure foundation, the sure cornerstone, there will be no ultimate disappointment or embarrassment. God is the one who is at work even when it doesn't appear that way. These Christians Peter addresses were suffering for their faith. Strangers, scattered aliens, living on the fringes of of society, pushed to the margins. But from God's point of view, they're being built and joined together on the living stone who is Christ himself. I find that really comforting as, as I look at the ordinariness of the local church. As I reflect on my own flaws and, and uh, you know, just the difficulty of life. It's beautiful, isn't it? And, and of course, for those who reject Jesus, we see a different reality in verses 7 and 8. For, for them, it's to stumble, the, that imagery, stumble and fall over that cornerstone. Peter is wanting to comfort his readers, though, isn't he? The rejection of Jesus and his role of cornerstone, it is, it's not surprising or, or unexpected, but predicted and planned by God long ago. Despite appearances, the true people of God are being built together like living stones to create a spiritual house. And can I just say, it is such a privilege to be a part of one of the local versions of this with all of you. Built on Christ, together. I'm so thankful for that. And there's a lot of ways that this truth can be applied. Uh, Peter describes who we are, and who we are determines what we do, how we live. Uh, Christians can be independent Christians, someone will say. No, they can't, says Peter. Uh, If you're a part of God's people, if you have come to Christ, then God is building you together with other believers. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. It also means then that our lives impact each other, that my sin and your sin doesn't just affect us as as individuals, but it has the capacity to, to affect, impact the whole of the community. Your sin can stunt the growth of our church family. That, that's confronting, isn't it? 
My sin will most certainly stunt the growth of our, our church community. I find that very confronting. And I'm not talking about numbers so much, but holiness. Yet it also means that you and I, us, taking God seriously together, it can have a profoundly positive impact on the community, on each other. As you seek to honour God in all that you do, God will use that for the good of his people. And I'm really thankful for the ways that we can see that to have happened among us over the years. When you get serious about living for Christ, you know what? I want to do the same. The church is a building. That's the first point. In verses 9 to 12, this will be the second point. The church is to be glorifying. Uh, in contrast to those who stumble because they disobey the message, Christians are, verse 9, the church is, verse 9, and this is a loading up of imagery, isn't it? A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That those four phrases, they all come, uh, they all look back to the Exodus that great saving event in the Old Testament. God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Uh, He chose those people to make them his own. Where being a royal priesthood and a holy nation was the promise to all in Israel who kept God's covenants. And God is continuing today to call a people appointing them to be a a royal priesthood, a a holy nation for a purpose. He's calling them us so that we might glorify him. Just as the Israelites were were called to glorify God among the nations, to be a, a demonstration of what it actually looks like to live in relationship with the loving God who made us. So now Christians have the same task. Someone said this, I love it. He said, God's purpose has always been to have a people for himself. A people who he reveals his glory to and a people who he displays his glory through. And Peter gives us two ways that God's glory is to be displayed. The first is with words in verse 9 and 10. You see there, uh, look again at verse 9, I'll read, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Just notice that the action of God's people, it's always based on on grace. Once we were not God's people, we, we were cut off from him. But now we've received mercy. We've been brought out of darkness into light. We've been made into a people belonging to God. So what? So we praise him. It's the natural response, isn't it? You think about the relief that Peter must have felt after denying Jesus three times. Forgiven and restored. The natural response is praise. We proclaim the praises of the God who has done this. 
the God who has poured out his abundant mercy on us. God's people, the church, are to glorify God with their, with our words. But see in verse 11 and 12, we're also to glorify God with our lives. On the one hand, verse 11, it's the negative. We're to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against our soul. We're to fight against them. Those things that we know that do not honour God, that with God's help we resist the lingering sinful nature. That's not who I am anymore. Uh, With God's help we resist. On the other hand, verse 12, we're to actively live righteous lives. And in doing this, says Peter, there will be unbelievers who currently slander Christians who will glorify God by coming to faith. You see that in verse 12? Let me just read there. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Paul gives an example of this as the letter continues, or multiple examples, but particularly that of ordering ourselves under the human authority that has been put over us. The people of God are to glorify God by declaring his praises and by living good lives among the people of this world. I reckon that verse 11 and 12 is is really a key verse for us as a community, as as the culture we live in shifts. Uh, Are we living among the people of this world or have we removed ourselves? And if we are living among the people of this world, as God instructs us to do, do our lives stand out as different, distinct, holy to him, or are our lives indistinguishable from those around us? I think about the temptation that this must have been for the original reader. Living in a context that is at odds with the lordship of Christ. It's good to know that it was more full-on for them than it is for us, but it doesn't remove the challenge. This, this week, I was just really struck by the contrast that we see in Peter, the shame that he felt in connection to Jesus. You know, he's out there in the community. This fellow's one of them, says the girl. Oh, no, no, I'm not one of them. I'm not sure what you're talking about. But then in John 21, having met the risen Jesus and forgiven and restored, I love this, and it should come up on the screen, um, hopefully. Jesus has restored him. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Uh, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. It's quite quite challenging, isn't it? 
to claim I don't even know him, I'm not one of them, to then be willing to die for him. And that's just the pattern for the Christian life. We lose control of our lives to him. Jesus is Lord. He calls the shots. There was a time where I did whatever I wanted to do, you know, ran my own show. But now he calls the shots. Sometimes that is profoundly hard, but it is always wonderful. What was that that Peter said in chapter 2, verse 6? The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's worth thinking about this week, isn't it? The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What about the church? We'll hear two things from this. The church is a building. We're built together on Christ. The church is to be a glorifying community. We praise him with our words and we honour him with our lives. And obviously we need his help, so let's ask him now. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the, the privilege of being your people. And we thank you for the multitude of, of illustrations and metaphors of what it, what it means to be yours, your community, uh, your children, your beloved, uh, yours. And we thank you that in the Lord Jesus, we belong to you. We thank you, Lord, that this isn't so much just an individual thing, but that we become a body, a family, your, your church. And we thank you that this church is global, that there, there are people all over the world in our family. And we praise you for that. But we want to thank you, too, for the local version that we get to sort of live out being your people together, encourage one another and and urge each other, be a building together on Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we don't look like the church that you want us to be. And we pray that in your mercy you would shape and mould us. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have been ashamed to be known as yours. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would embolden us to happily lay down our lives for our King and that we might encourage one another in this, that you would call the shots in our lives for your glory. And Lord, help us to use our words as we just respond to all that you have done for us in praise. And help us use our whole lives that those who see us might ask why and that they too might join us in trusting and following our King. We pray all this in his name and for your glory. Amen. We invite our, our music.